Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us again on this program. I'm delighted to have your company and today I have a very special guest all the way from California via Skype. And this is a young lady I met while we were traveling the Bible lands in 2017 and then was aware that she'd written a book about her life. And I'm telling you, you're in for something very special. This lady's got a remarkable testimony. And just up front, I just want to inoculate you and prepare you that her testimony actually delves into some very interesting subjects and ones where we would suggest that if you have children listening, that it is parental guidance recommended. While it doesn't get explicit, it does have some adult content to it. So just to keep that in mind. But as you know in the past, if you listened to this program before, you realize that it is a program where people just like you and me share their, uh, their challenges, their trials, their opportunities, and the providences of God in their life and how they have been impacted for good and for the glory of God and how their lives have been changed. So I'd like to welcome my special guest all the way from California in the USA today. Her name is Suzanne V. Meister. Now, Suzanne, did I pronounce your name correctly? You got it. You got it. It's V. Meister. V. Meister. Wonderful. Yes. And it was lovely to meet you and your son while we were traveling uh, through Jordan as well as Israel. And just Mm -hmm. hear a little bit about your story. Now, you also have a book out there. What is your book um, called? So my book is called Rebel Girl, The Fatherless Daughter, and it's available on Amazon, Kindle, and in print, and in the iTunes store. And one of these days, when I get over my cold, I'll be recording an audio book as well to go with it that will be sold on Amazon. Okay, so there's a number of opportunities for people to actually access your book and hear your story. And no doubt after they hear your testimony today, there'll be many people to hear the rest of the story that we don't have uh, the ability to tell in about an hour or so. You can also um, keep up with our family at vmeister.com. That also offers kind of the latest of what we're doing and Because there's another, another book in the wings as well from what I understand. Yes, there is. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, I'm from Southern California. Um, I was born on the East Coast of the United States. And then when I was just a wee baby, um, my family, my mother moved us to Southern California. My father had passed away when my mother was only a few months pregnant with me. And um, that kind of... uh, would steer the rest of my life because I often, even though I was adopted into a really loving family, I did always feel that missing piece of my, you know, father being gone. Mm. And I felt an absence in my life in the sense of, of a father. 
And so I grew up 60 miles east, so your listeners can picture where I was in Southern California. Um, it's called, and it's an area called the Inland Empire, and it's the birthplace of the Hell's Angels. And oftentimes, it felt like the birthplace of methamphetamine because there sure was a lot of it. Is that so, right? Yes, I grew up 60 miles east of Los Angeles in a little town called Cherry Valley, and um, I had pretty much, you know, an uneventful childhood for the most part um, until I started getting up into um, my teens. And you could really tell there that I was lacking a father and um, because I started, you know, really craving male attention and dating uh, fairly early at 12 and 13, I was very interested in in the opposite sex more so than the other girls in my class it was um it was i i wanted to fill a void that i had in my life and Mm. i was looking looking for whoever would take the place and i guess i have to back up just a little bit because um my mother remarried and this would be her um third marriage at the time and my mother struggled a lot with her own issues um, of abuse. And so um, a lot of the times when my parents, my adoptive father and my mother would, would fight and separate and then get back together, um, my mother would use me a lot as her marriage counselor. And so a lot of my book goes through um, this turbulent relationship I had with my mother um, being kind of pulled into the the family fights because we were a blended family. So at sometimes there were six of us kids between half brothers, full brothers, stepbrothers, stepsister. And, um, my mother confided in me a lot. And, um, there was a particular incident when I was about 12 years old where, um, you know, an uncle came over and they were, you know, we're taking inappropriate pictures of me as a young 12 year old girl. And I, I turned to my mother to kind of defend me for that, you know, to tell her, I, I don't want to do these pictures. This is, you know, I knew in my little heart that this was wrong. Mm. And at this time, our, our family, um, my mother had married a Seventh Day Adventist man and she herself had grown up Seventh Day Adventist, but she had kind of left the church. And so, um, up until I was about 12, we were in the Adventist church, and then um, my family left the Adventist church by the time I was 13. And so um, I I would turn to my mother to kind of defend me in these situations, and I, I would find somebody whose you know face would kind of gloss over, and um, she she wouldn't defend me in in these situations where I where you really need a mother to defend you yes and and stand up and do the appropriate thing and so that was a extreme scar for many years that I you know I I was bitter at my mother for these things and so then I turned to find in you know other boys men uh, what I was looking for in a family. And so thereafter, um, you know, there was quite a few um, encounters with young men that were of a sexual nature, um, being as young as I was. 
and until I could find a steady boyfriend. And um, I, I ended up finding a boyfriend that was much older than I. And um, in between he and I's uh, uh, just absolutely, uh, I don't know how to explain other than this, this roller coaster ride of a romance at a young age of 15, um, I was sexually assaulted by a 25-year-old who was supposed to be picking me up for a Bible study. And, oh. you know, my mother, believing that I'm going to a Bible study, was thought it was perfectly safe. And um, But I was alone with a 25-year-old and, and sexually assaulted. And when I came home to talk to her, to tell her, you know, this has happened, um, it was it was literally like her ears, just, like her whole body just shut down. She couldn't hear it, and she just walked away out of my room. And yet again, I just kept feeling like these these knives to my heart were happening over and over. Mm. And um, so my whole book kind of chronicles from chapter to chapter, um, uh, romantic relationship to romantic relationship to romantic relationship. And there's 36 chapters. And that's not even chronicling all of them. Um, clearly, I had a um, God-sized hole in my heart where that mm. I was trying to fill. And, you know, in 2010, I, I tried to write this testimony out, um, my testimony out in a book format before. And I wasn't willing to talk about this because I was still ashamed of all the men I'd had in my life. And I realized this this book is the sanitized version, and it's not going to help anyone because I, I had not yet realized um, that my incredible weaknesses and my points of shame were going to be God's greatest tools for his glory. Mm. Um, so, you know, my husband, my husband was the one, uh, God love him, who sat down and edited every um, chapter, you know, my whole book, he put it together for me because he believed the story needed to be told. And I would come and I would bring to him these, some of these awful situations. And I would say, you know, should I put this in there? And he said, well, we can, we can, you know, make it sound better, but you need to put it in there because there's going to be somebody else who's suffering with this same thing. Um, every time I found a rock bottom, <laughs> I would dig down deeper and, claw my way down deeper to another rock bottom. It just didn't seem like I was ever going to come up from the pit that I was in mm. because I, 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 uh, went from, you know, being relationship to relationship to relationship to where by the time I was, you know, 16 years old, I found myself pregnant at 16 with my first child. And I, you know, um, I was not prepared for that, as any, as you can imagine, any 16-year-old sure. is not prepared to have a baby at six. Or I ha actually delivered my baby at 17, and um, I had my first baby at 17. Uh, but thereafter, um, I was a single mom. I, you know, single again. Didn't want to be single. Wanted to be in a relationship. Wanted to find another guy to fill the hole that was in my life. And instead I found uh, methamphetamine. Mm. And as I had mentioned earlier on, uh, that, um, my father had died. He died of a, a medical malpractice suit. He, uh, the doctor that came to operate on him, uh, was drunk 
on New Year's Eve. And so when I was 18 years old, I got a $20,000 check. And this was as I was a drug, a drug addict on crystal meth and cocaine and any other drug that I could get my hands on. And, um, so you hand somebody a $20,000 check at that, at, at that stage of life. And it catapulted me from a lowly drug user on the street to being a drug dealer and dealing with some pretty, um, uh, nasty characters, Mm. uh, pretty dangerous people. Um, so, so by this time, um, I had, I was bitter at my mom. I was bitter at God. Um, I, uh, started to, um, really get into the occult and, I wanted a, I knew that I, I wanted, I was craving a spiritual experience, but I had all this hatred in my heart and my mom was going through another divorce and at the time and, and the father that I'd been raised with, he had left and hadn't had any contact with him. And it just seemed like my life was kind of falling apart. So I, um, I, I, I plunged quite deeply into satanic rituals. Um, I never got into the organized satanic church, but I was praying to demons on my own. And, um, you know, I would have people over to my house, um, who were known, um, uh, warlocks, witches, people, you know, with, um, pentagrams, tattooed on them and people that worship Satan and, Mm. and were quite heavily steeped into that and still are for the most part. Most of the people that I was um, associating with back then are still steeped heavily in the occult. And, um, you know, around this time, I, uh, uh, it just, you know, those things, um, you get into it a little bit and you think you can just get in a little bit and, um, it, it, you, you just go down this dark tunnel and it it just seems like a vortex that sucks you in. Mm. And I was, um, before I knew it, I was ripping Bibles apart and found myself, um, you know, possessed one night, um, playing a guitar. I don't play guitar and did a blues performance. And I have no, you know, I don't, I don't play. And, um, you know, I kind of woke up out of this trance with, you know, blood all over the fretboard and um, blood on me from my fingers bleeding from playing the guitar because I wasn't used to it. Wow. And, um, you know, I knew I, I knew what had happened. I knew that I had been possessed and I felt a strange power. And I thought, you know, this is this is a power that I can use. Um, I, I was so angry at everything around me that I, I knew I, I, this power now that I had was something that I wanted. Um, being a drug dealer, um, people enjoy being drug dealers often because, you know, not only are you making money, but you are the one in power. Mm. You are the one um, holding, you know, the purse strings, so to speak. So um, I, uh, I, I, had had my, I felt that so many different times, 
um, been with the sexual abuse and sexual assault that I'd had my power ripped from me. It, it was kind of seemed like a natural flow of things as to uh, take it back through spiritualism and the occult. And um, my anger became so uncontrollable that grown men started to fear me because I was so unpredictable at parties. I was starting fights. I'd walk up to people and just clock them in the face. Um, I would fight other men. It was it's strange. I didn't fight females. I wanted to fight the men. And um, I, I really was looking always for an outlet for that anger. Mm. And so um, by this time, I was so high on methamphetamines all the time that you know, on one particular occasion, I, I, some, uh, another girl in, in my town was talking bad about me and I broke into her house at night, home invasion, pulled her out of bed by her hair and, you know, pulled her out to her living room and held a knife to her throat and said, you know, are you, you know, and, and not very <laughs> nice language, sure. you know, basically told her if I catch you talking about me again, there's going to be consequences. And, um, that was the level of anger that I had. Mm. And it wasn't too long after that, that, uh, rumors started to go around the town about me that, you know, I, I was a killer. And, um, later on it would be assumed that I was a hit woman. And it was because of my, my, my out of control anger. And I just want to highlight how, bitterness and hatred and a lack of forgiveness um, manifests itself in this this anger. And the more angry a person is, you know, I can guarantee 100% the more hurting a person is, um, the more unresolved violations they have. Um, I detail in, in my book that bitterness is an unresolved violation of someone's justice system. Mm. Um, because I, and it's my own personal belief that, um, God's, our strongest human emotion is not, is not love, but justice. Um, because, you know, uh, love may not always get a, uh, be the rallying cry at a demonstration demonstration, but, uh, justice will get a lot of people together fighting for a cause. And I think that's because fundamentally God and he, you know, we have the mercy seat, the picture of God's justice and his mercy. And that combined creates a loving father. And, um, you know, bitterness, I believe, is somebody who has had hurts and things done wrong. You know, they've been definitely wronged but they cannot forgive. They've been violated in some way mm. and, and they don't take it and lay it at, at the cross. They, they, you know, say, God, why did you let this happen to me? How could you? And, or, you know, what this person did to me, that was wrong. Um, and, you know, I'll get into a little bit later, um, the process to resolve that. Um, so, here I am a drug dealer and, you know, all in the occult and I get pregnant again, um, at 19. 
the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Sure. So I felt stupid for getting, I felt ashamed. I felt, um, I, I felt, you know, that you can have one baby teen pregnancy, but to have another baby, um, I, I, I just couldn't imagine doing that again. Mm, So even though you had all this power, you had this incredible reputation, which is obviously a far greater reputation than your actions actually portrayed. I mean, you were, you were known as a hit woman, but you, you you never killed anybody. And also with the drugs and is also with your involvement in the occult, there was still a sense of shame, even though you felt that you could uh, do whatever you wanted. Mm, incredible. Deep on everyone's heart is written, I believe, the law of God. Mm. And um, we know what's right and what's wrong. That's why even in prison, you can still appeal to to quite a few people, uh, even in prison, on the basis of what's right and what's wrong. Because they have a very strong code of respect amongst criminals. Um, you know, they'll steal from you. They'll sell drugs to your children. But you disrespect them, and and they're outraged. Um, at least that's my been my experience. Sure. So there's still with, a code um, of right and wrong, even amongst hardened criminals, is what you're yes. saying. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. And of course, it yes. reminds me of that text in the Gospel of John, John chapter one, where it talks about Christ being the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So it's obviously it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of right and wrong. And we should never give up on people, although we might see a heart on exterior. We never know what's happening in the mind and how the Holy Spirit is working in their lives as well. And your testimony is, is a wonderful testament to that fact. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of people that believed I was the last person to become a Christian. Mm. Um, uh, you know, most people thought I was a lost cause because... You know, I had a Christian come on a, a classmate, an old classmate of mine, um, he, who became a Christian. He came to visit me up at my at my house where I was living, and and I chased him off his pro- off my property and threatened his life because I hated Christians so wow. so much. You know, I was controlled completely by Satan at this point. But I, I've got to tell you, there was, you know. The Bible says that God is the father to the fatherless. Mm. And um, I felt a strong, even though I was cutting myself, I was, um, you know, ripping pages out of the Bible. I, I mean, I, any Bible I came across, you know, I would use it for, um, to roll my tobacco in. Um I still felt a strong presence of the Holy Spirit trying to pull me back. And I fought against it so much that I would just, I would say, you know, you need to leave me alone. Um, and I would give my life over to Satan. I would, you know, say, uh, you know, I, I would give, um, I would say, you know, I want nothing to do with you and, you know, tucking into the Holy Spirit and, and then pledge my allegiance, um, to evil. Mm. Um, but I felt, you know, it never went away. I always felt a presence of the Lord following after me. And I do believe that um, even though my mother um, has was struggling with a lot of her problems and um, was very abusive also um, of me, um, uh, her, you know, she, she had a lot of um, uh, bitterness herself that she would take out on me. Um, she was kind of the source 
of a lot of the struggles that I was having because of the hurt and the pain. Um, but, um, she was praying for me and I do believe that makes a huge difference. Mm. Um, I, I tell parents all the time, um, you know, I have an 18 year old son now and you, you cannot stop praying for your children because you have no idea the power that that's giving God in their lives. Um, Mm, and, and even though I was, um, really far down the road as most people would see me, um, into the occult, um, you know, the Lord was chasing after me. And so, um, you know, here I am pregnant again. And, um, this was a real opportunity, uh, in, in my life to start turning to the Lord because I, I did feel shame. I, I realized I'm, I'm high on drugs. I told myself that, um, you know, I, I've done so many drugs. This baby's probably not even normal. And my mother said, you can't have another baby in my house. Uh, so, um, so she, were you living, you were you living at home from the time you had your first yes. baby to the second? So you were still um, at home? No, I, I was in and out of the house. Okay. Um, and then even then I would live in hotel rooms sometimes, um, you know, the life of a drug addict. Mm. But by this time I had returned home because my, my mother was get, going through a divorce. And so I kind of saw her house as um, a free-for-all because okay. there was no one ever home. My mom was gone all the time working and um, she, she was not home. So I kind of had a, you know, a, fr- a free house to mm. just run drugs and all kinds of manner of evil out of. Um, but, uh, I started to kind of pull back from the drugs a little bit around getting pregnant the second time, but my mother had made an appointment for me to get an abortion and I really didn't want to get an abortion. Um, I, I, but I, you know, I, I didn't want to not have a place to live um, again because I had been, you know, worried, been uh, housing insecure. I would say, but by this time later on, I would find myself homeless. Mm. But by this time, I was, you know, I I had struggled before with places to live, and I didn't want to not have a place to live, especially because, but you know, I had a I had a two year old son, and so um, I went ahead and and got the abortion, and that was a huge turning point in my life because, um, I, I was self-destructive. Like I said, I, I would dig through rock bottom to, to much as low as I could get. And when you thought I couldn't go any deeper into the pit, I would just dig down deeper to another rock bottom because after I had an abortion, uh, the cutting, I couldn't stop it. Um, I, you know, I was a self mutilator and a lot of people will ask, um, you know, a lot of it was in ceremony with the occult, um, but at the same time it had become an addiction, and people will ask me because their daughters or their sons cut, why? Why Why do people cut themselves? They, they don't understand it, and um, one reason is uh, it feels good to watch yourself heal. You can't heal your heart, but you can cut yourself and watch your arm heal, Wow. Um, and then it's also, um, it's also a way to, uh, have a release. You have a, you know, you have, you have pain and then you just have this release. And I, I think there's a certain amount of a dopamine rush, even when you cut yourself, uh, you know, because it's, it's, 
it's uh, it's a way to tell yourself you're still alive. Um, but be sure, I, I believe that anyone who has a fascination with death um, and cutting themselves, there's there's a demonic element to it, mm. because we know from the the um, uh, biblical account of the demoniac at the Gadarenes, um, yes. the uh, Baal worshippers on top of Mount Carmel, <laughs> um, that they're this is a satanic practice. Mm. And so even though people, um, you know, who have, it's a psychiatric condition now, um, it is definitely, I believe firmly uh, that it is a, there's a demonic component with it because a fascination with death, you know, Christ is life. Mm. Uh, he He's light and he represents life. He comes to bring us life and bring us, uh, bring it more abundantly. And Satan brings us death and the fascination with death. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I start going, I wanted to get off of methamphetamines because I felt that I had used it basically as an excuse to have an abortion. So I got okay. off methamphetamines. So, Suzanne, what we're going to do is we're just going to take a quick okay. break there. Your story is absolutely fascinating, and I almost don't want to interrupt your story because it's such a fascinating story, but we're just going to take a quick break. Okay. Dear listener, dear listener, we are with Suzanne Wiemeister, who wrote the book called Rebel Girl, The Fatherless Daughter, and we're listening to her testimony at the moment, and I have to tell you, I am speechless just listening to this testimony. I can't wait to hear the second part of it, but we're just going to take a short break. And we'll be right back after this message. So stay tuned. Decision time. The steps involved in making a decision are this. What you think causes your feeling. The way you feel determines the way you act. If you have stinking thinking, it leads to negative feelings. Negative feelings lead to negative behaviour. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Maybe it's time to have a checkup from the neck up. Dear listener, welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. And I have with me via Skype from California, USA, Suzanne Wiemeister, who's written the book Rebel Girl, the Fatherless Daughter, which tells her life story. And if you were there for the first half of the program so far, I'm sure you are fascinated and spellbound by her story as I have been listening to it. Now, just before the break, Suzanne, you were telling us about how you got into more self-harm after you had aborted your second pregnancy and how you felt there was a demonic connection to that. Yes. Um, and then, um, you know, I was talking about how because I had an abortion, I, I felt that I'd used my methamphetamine use and, and all the other drugs I was taking at the time as an excuse to have an abortion. Um, I decided to get myself clean off of drugs, but I, I did it on my own in my own room, I kind of shake, rattled, and rolled through the withdrawals, which was not pretty, and it was not fun, but I, I did it by myself, um, but because I, I had no support system, um, uh, and because I had um, no faith other than, you know, faith in the occult, mm. um, I, I plunged, I replaced one drug with another drug, I plunged deep into alcoholism, and I used alcohol as another way to numb that was legal, um, well, not legal for me because I was underage in the United States. The legal drinking age is 21, and I was 20 now. And I was drinking so heavily that I was waking up in the morning with um, Jack Daniels 
and, um, you know, drunk by noon. So it wasn't any surprise when um, I got into uh, a huge car accident. Um, I was I was dealing um, uh, marijuana at the time, and I had just gone to make a drug deal, and I had a a large quantity of marijuana in my back seat, and um, I was listening to some really, you know, hip hop music rap and I was feeling very strong Mm. (laughs) and I feeling very invincible and uh, I went to make a left turn right into a car that was going 60 miles an hour um, uh, truck and it just barreled right into the side of me and cracked my car in half Mm. so uh, and I had a friend with me and when I came to I was knocked unconscious at the scene and my drug dealer heard the crash, the loud crash that was heard for a mile away. Uh, I mean, the sound, people came out of their apartments down there. I mean, it was it was a quite a loud noise, so, I'm told. Yeah, quite a big accident and one at high speed my, as well. My drug dealer comes out and he, you know, he pulled all the marijuana, you know, as drug dealers do, he pushed my unconscious body aside to get the drugs so that he wouldn't be incriminated when the police came. And they came. But when I came to, my friend was passed out and I thought I'd killed her. Mm. And I felt, I felt, I mean, just guilt just flooded me at a moment of sobriety um, coming to. And I just thought to myself, what am I doing? And the police came and I was arrested. And I, I got in the back of that cop car and the police officer could have taken me to prison that night and I would have been in prison for a long time. Um, but I begged him. Uh, I, I said, please, I, I have a son. He's three years old. I'm supposed to pick him up. Um, if I lose custody of him, I, you know, if I lose my visitation rights with him, I'll never see him again. Please, you know, don't, don't um, send me to prison. Can you just, can you just book and release me? so that I can um, at least, you know, not not go to prison and keep my visitation rights with my son. Mm. And the police officer looked in the back seat at me and, you know, I had mascara dripping down my face and I looked a mess and I stunk. And I was taken to the police station. He took me to the police station and booked and released me that night. Wow. Um, but I was as I was chained, you know, there to the to the this pole in the police station waiting for a ride to come and get me you have, you have some moments to think. And I, I started really, you know, pondering back on my life thinking, you know, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life on, on, on these things. So those were the first thoughts I started having of what am I doing with my life? Why do I keep getting in trouble? But I wasn't done yet. um, Because, uh, like I said, I just keep going back down deeper. I, went and I got a job at a, at a, a known biker gang bar. And I got pretty uh, steeped into the uh, criminal biker gang culture. But there was a young, uh, there was a, I wouldn't say he was young. He was about, I don't know, late forties, maybe early fifties. But he, he, this, this, guy at the uh, biker bar, um, we call him Jack in the book, 
but he uh, he kind of took me under his wing as a little sister and um, kept me from getting in more trouble than I could have gotten in. You know, I could have gotten into a lot more trouble than I did. But he told me a story one night on how he he saw a demonic angel and he he put the question to me, you know, why do you mess around with the occult like you do? And I had had a lot of Bible prophecy, um, Bible studies uh, from Doug Batchelor and Amazing Facts and, you know, uh, a lot of those types of Bible studies when I was a young girl. Mm. So this now ran up to the age of 12 that you had all that that exposure? Yes. And, And so he was asking me questions about, you know, this demonic angel that he had seen, this interaction. It had kind of sobered him up in his life. He was on the run from the law at the time, and, and uh, he was also into drugs and alcohol. Uh, but he saw had this experience where he saw he looked evil in the eye, and uh, he, he really pulled back from a lot of the criminal element that he was involved in. Now, he didn't get out of the biker gang at the time, hmm. but he pulled back out of the alcohol and the drug abuse that he was involved in. And so having these conversations with him, um, I wanted to answer some of his questions because I knew there were answers. I was raised in Adventist, but I had, you know, I didn't, I had forgotten a lot of it. Mm. And so, um, and then he started questioning me, why are you in the occult? You know, why, if you know these things, how come you're not following them? And uh, he also you know, was the first one to tell me, you have a drinking problem. (laughs) And I said, no, I don't. Uh, What do you mean? I don't have a drinking problem. And he's like, girl, you got a drinking problem. (laughs) And so, um, you know, there was one night where he saved me from a major motorcycle accident because he knew the driver of the motorcycle was inebriated and he pulled me off the back of a bike just five minutes, you know, just a few minutes before it, he had it, this guy had a major crash. Um, So, I, I kind of, you know, during this whole time, what I haven't mentioned in the testimonies, pretty much every stage of this life, there's a boyfriend involved. Mm. Um, that's what my life always revolved around. So around this time, I had been in out of the Hollywood um, club scene before, um, but I met a, a, a man who um, was a Hollywood um, club promoter. He worked with, you know, famous bands and um, quite a few famous venues in the punk rock scene, blues scene. Um, I was heavily into the goth scene, um, and uh, I started dating him. And once we got together, it was like gasoline and fire. My alcoholism just exploded. We were major partiers. Um I would, we would wake up and not have any recollection how we got where we got. Mm. So, um, (laughs) you know, he, he was not the best for me and I ended up, you know, getting together with him and quitting my job at the biker bar. Now, the one positive about working at the biker bar was I had my own money. Um, and when I was with, you know, my new boyfriend from Hollywood, I was dependent on him for money. And so um, I started to feel very trapped. And then um, I, uh, I 
well, I broke up with him and I moved to another city that was a neighboring city. I was happy to get away because by this time I had really established myself as a very angry person. People were afraid of me. And um, I, I was living in Redlands and I was uh, date raped. Um, somebody drugged my drink. Um, I, I, at the time I was really trying to go to AA. It always seemed to, as soon as I took a couple steps forward in my life, something would come and just knock me down again. Mm. And that something was Satan. Satan didn't want to lose me. <laughs> Quite an effective soldier in his army. Mm. So, um, I was at a party and somebody, um, you know, put something in my drink and because of my major drug use, I woke up multiple times during the assault, and um, which surprised him. And when I woke up in the morning, I, I knew, you know, I obviously I had memory, some memories from the night before. And I, I, had, I never met this guy before. Uh, I mean, I, I had never had an interaction. I had seen him at his place of work. Um, he worked at a grocery store, and um, I, I had just had. Uh, you know, brief seconds walking past him, but I had, um, you know, no talking with him and I, I failed to report it. Um, I didn't, I did not report it. I should have called the police at that time, but I figured I was pretty much in my own estimation, no better than an unpaid prostitute. So why would anyone listen to me? Mm. I was really afraid of the reporting process and I literally just stuffed it down. And I immediately went back to my old boyfriend from Hollywood because I, I felt that, well, at least if I have a boyfriend, even if he's not good for me and we're really bad for each other, Hmm. at least I'm protected. Um, because this may not have happened to me if I had been protected. Hmm. So you 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 sort of picked the the best out of the worst bunch of options, basically. Exactly. Hmm. It's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. You mm. know? Uh, so that's that was my that was my thinking at the time. But I go back to him, and um, the relationship just gets worse, and there's infidelities. And um, you know, I get a call one night, and my boyfriend and I got in this huge fight. He had thrown things at me, goes tearing out of the driveway in his truck. And I know he's off with some other girl and I didn't want to believe it, but I had a feeling, but if I, my feelings were confirmed at two or three in the morning when I get a phone call from my friend who's at the bar and she sees my boyfriend with another girl and they're together and making it quite clear to everyone around that they are, you know, dating together. And so um, I felt absolutely betrayed, and I thought, you know, I, I couldn't even count by this time how many men I'd been with. Um, and I, I felt dirty. I felt ashamed. I felt like, I there's I, you know, every time I try to get my life together, everything just falls apart. I tried to go to school more than once by this time, and every time I'd go, I'd end up co- go to college. I'd end up dropping out because I'd have some trouble with some awful car I was using at the time. And so... Um, or some circumstance would just, my life was always falling apart. That's just Mm. how it was. And that's kind of 
that's kind of the story of most alcoholics that you talk to. And, and that was my life. And I felt ashamed. I, I, I was filled with shame, but I was also filled with a lot of anger. Um, I was very angry at all the things that happened to me, the numerous sexual assaults. Um, and you know, I was, I was angry. I didn't have a family. I wanted a father. I didn't have a father. I was so jealous of friends that I saw that had this relationship with their, their father. And that's all I wanted. And I was more interested in, in the friendship part of relationships with the men that I would, you know, date than I was even the sexual part. I just wanted that connection with a man. Mm. And, um, so that night when I find out my, you know, however many boyfriend by this time was cheating on me, I took a bottle of moonshine that I knew was brewed in Alaska and it was very potent stuff. And I just started drinking and, um, I went out to the sky and I put my fist up in the air and I said, all right, I screamed into the sky. I said, that's it. You know, if you want me, if you want me, you come and get me, you get me out of here. You get me away from uh, my boyfriend and you get me out of here. If you get me out of here, I'll be yours. And it wasn't, but a few hours later that, uh, I was, I was out of there mm. and it was, it was a miraculous circumstance that came together to get me completely out of there in a place to live where I wasn't homeless or couch surfing. And I go through some of those details in my book because sure. there's a lot I'm skipping here, but, um, Understand. so I, I go to dry out in this, in, I go home to my mom's house and I'm, you know, I go through alcohol withdrawal. And uh, I want to really highlight this story because it's so important. I was not yet a Christian. Um, I, I was kind of uh, interested in, in Christianity. I was starting to pick up some books that had to do with Christianity, but I wasn't ready yet to dedicate my life. I was still struggling with, you know, smoking and um, I was really still struggling with bitterness and I was angry still and, but I was, I was trying, I was really trying to pull my life together and not, not date anyone, not, not to stay single, which is really hard to do when, when you, that's what you've done your whole life for, mm. you know, this is 22 years now. <laughs> and were you still um, uh, practicing self-harm at this time? Um, no, I was not. Mm. Um, by this time I... Um, I was really ashamed of the marks on my arms. And uh, so um, I start getting off of alcohol. And um, one day, the my mother's a new husband um, came to me and um, suggest told me that um, my mother was suspicious of me having an affair with my stepfather. Mm. And that just crushed me because um, those were the kind of issues that I had dealt with my mother with um, before um, was she was very, because of the, the abuse that she had experienced, she was very suspicious of incest, even when there was none mm. um, because her, there, there was some, you know, issues in her own family. I won't go into, but um, that crushed me. It really hurt me because um that wasn't an even on my radar. I, I just wanted a father and I was looking at this new stepfather as, you know, maybe you could be my father. Yes. And so to have that dirty, um, out, you know, thing suggested to me, it, I, I told myself, you know what, 
the reason why you don't have a father is because you don't deserve a father. You bring this out in every man that you meet. And so I went running down my street um, and I, the tears were just, you know, flying off my face as I ran. And I, I, I mean, I just ran so fast. I, I think I ran over a mile and I found a ditch and I, I literally threw myself into the dirt in the ditch. And I just, I cried out again. And I, I, I said, you know, all I want is a father. I just want a father. Mm. And why can't I have a father? And I was so angry. And then I get, I get up and I start to walk home and, um, I, I meet somebody who I used to provide drugs to. He knew me as a big drug dealer. And so he's like, come party with me. Well, I was at the lowest of the lowest point I had been at in a long time. And I had been trying so hard to stay sober. And I, I follow him home. And that night I did methamphetamine, cocaine, huffed paint, drank Jack Daniels, smoked marijuana, was trying to kill myself. I was trying to overdose. And I, I, I somehow woke up in my bed. I wasn't even sure how I got home. And I could feel my heart stressing to beat. I, I knew I had done a lot of drugs that evening. And I thought, I've got to stop this. The next time I, I do something like this, I'm not going to wake up. And mm. I, I regretted my decision to, you know, my decision to try to overdose. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, get up. And I, I got up and um, I felt the Holy Spirit impress me to go to my mother's bookshelf. And I went to my mother's bookshelf and um, my eyes fell on the desire of ages. And I, I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me that that's what you need. And I thought, surely I cannot read this right now. I, I literally just woke up from a night of binge drinking drugs and alcohol um, that, you know, God does not want me right now. Mm. And, um, I can't stress enough that, um, it's the things that we struggle with, um, and the, the, the things that, you know, we are fighting against that God will use ultimately as our testimony later and, and to demonstrate his, his power. Mm. And, Amen. um, so I pulled that book out of the shelf and I opened it and I started reading it. And for the first time in my life, the, um, the pain in my heart, um, started, was, was gone. Um, when I would open that book, it would be the only time I didn't feel this tremendous emotional pain. And that's because I was encountering the person of Jesus. And I was, I was encountering, you know, a loving person, a loving God. Um, and I was meeting my father for the very first time. And so the ache in my heart started to go away. And um, that's one of my favorite chapters that I love to talk about is the, the, um, the story that Christ, uh, when Jesus uh, meets the man at the pool of Bethesda, because um, I've talked to uh, physicians and we've agreed that we believe that um, that man had something like syphilis. Um, he, he had something where everyone knew, you know, all the mess ups that he had made, the wildlife he'd had and that he had brought his sin on himself. And that, that was me. I had brought my problems on myself. I was angry at everyone else, but really, um, I was doing this to myself. Um, I, I was hating other people. Um, I was, I was so angry at the men who had failed me, 
assaulted me, um, you know, abused me or abandoned me, Mm. um, that I was, it's just like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That hatred was killing me. It wasn't killing them. It wasn't hurting them. It was killing me. And, and, and the more I hated, the more, the, the worse I got. And I, I love the chapter, the, the, the um, story of the pool, man at the pool of Bethesda because um, he was as needy as needy could be. He couldn't walk. Um, he was about to die, and he was really discouraged. And Christ looks down, and I love where the Desire of Ages says, that um, Jesus didn't ask the man to exercise any faith in him. Like Jesus often asks others to, do you believe in me? He didn't ask this man to exercise any kind of faith in him because this man, he was, he knew he was wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Mm. And he had a, he knew his need. And, and, you know, Zyra Bages also says that um, if we understand our need, there's nothing that Christ can't do with us. Um, there's no miracle he can't. There's no miracle he won't do. There's no power he'll withhold from us if we understand um, our desperate need for Christ. And so he heals the man. Not only does he heal the man, but it says that he was one of the worst cases in Israel. But he uses this worst case to go publish. It's the the, the book uses the word publish publish the truth of the Sabbath. This man is just saying he's been healed on the Sabbath throughout Jerusalem. And um, this is who Christ used. And it's so encouraging to me because it's often our weaknesses that are our greatest resources. People think I can't be involved in ministry. I can't witness to this person. I was just angry at my husband last night or I just did this you know, yesterday, um, you know, I can't stress to you the strength that can be manifested through us when in our weaknesses, it's our weakness that reveals the greatest power in the universe. And that's the power of Christ. He Mm. says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. That's Isaiah 40, 29. And, you know, Paul, of course, second Corinthians 12, 10 says, you know, I, for, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, I started this interview saying in 2010, I tried to write my story and I'm glad I didn't write it then because I was not willing to share the shame of numerous sexual relationships, <laughs> substance abuse, sexual assault. You know, these are, these are, these are subjects and, and you don't, they're kind of taboo. People don't want to hear about it. It's a little uncomfortable, but um, I was not willing at that time to talk about it because I wasn't willing to be vulnerable but I've I've realized that it's it's the places where I'm vulnerable, where Christ will use it to witness to others, and that's where other people are vulnerable too. And I want to share one more verse because I want to encourage anyone who's listening that um, it it is it's going to be the thing that you struggle with the most when Christ gives you victory that He's going to call you to share the most and where you will do the most good. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see God take, um, like the scars on my arms. I, I have lots of scars from self-harm and from the occult. And, you know, I have reminders from the nights 
when I was, um, you know, giving my blood to Satan and satanic rituals. Mm. But those are the scars I've been able to show my children where my father would not let the enemy tear me apart, where he fought for me. Mm, He pulled me from this. He pulled me out of it and he saved my life. And I can show my children, look, this is tangible evidence where Satan tried to kill me, but my father came and saved me. And that uh, I would like to share 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may then be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. Mm. It's, it's going to be, our testimony is going to be how the things that we've suffered and something I'm learning, I have a chronic illness I was uh, born with. Um, and something that I've learned is that it's, it's often the things that cause us the most pain that Christ is able to use the most. Mm. And, and that's my theme is that my incredible weaknesses are God's greatest tools for his glory. Look, we thank you so much, Suzanne, for sharing your testimony with us today. We've out of time, unfortunately. I'd love to hear so much more, <laughs> and maybe we'll have to do another program at another stage. But uh, if people want to hear the rest of your testimony, they can actually buy the book that you have written, and it's available on Amazon. It's available on iTunes, I think you mentioned, and it's also yes. available on hardcover. And uh, the book is called Rebel Girl, The Fatherless Daughter. So, Suzanne, joining me from uh, all the way from California today via Skype, I just want to thank you for your time. And I pray thank that you. God will continue to bless you as you witness for him and minister to others in regards to what God has done for you. And also for those who find themselves in desperate situations, maybe they're angry, maybe they're disappointed and people have let them down and they may feel that anger that you mentioned as well, that even in those circumstances, God is able to transform and change their life. Because I can say when I met you, there was nothing intimidating about you. However, if I'd met you probably (laughs) 10 or 15 years earlier, I might have been very intimidated by you because you had such a great reputation and a scary reputation at that. (laughs) So, Zane, thank you very much. We pray that God will continue to bless you. And we hope that we can chat with you again sometime here on 3ABN Australia Radio. Dear listener, thank you for joining us today. We pray that God will continue to bless you. And if you uh, would like to hear more information about her book or you couldn't get all those details down, please give us a call or send us a message via email. Thank you. God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.